stand with us as we worship together today?
that we are yours, that you've redeemed us, that you've saved us, God. I just pray we'd never forget that. And we'd never, ever walk without that knowledge that you've saved us, God, and that you love us so much. And in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Please be seated. Could you bring me that pulpit right there? Thank you. Doing have a good week? Me too. I want to remind you guys of last week. Last week we had a, a, a ministry fair, the, th- the tables in the back, where we had all the ministries of the church, or the majority of them, and we um, talked about you participating in that. And many of you signed up for things. Many of you were thinking about it. So I, want, I just want to encourage you, if you were thinking about signing up and didn't, then, then talk to those people, those ministry heads, and say, hey, how can I help? If you did sign up, expect a phone call soon or pursue them. Because as Christians, you know, we were not, we were the concept of saved to serve. Saved to serve. We are not saved to sit. We are saved to serve. So I want to follow up on that. Another thing is that the, the, it's become public. The emails have gone out from Deborah and Mario. Deborah and Mario are going to be moving back to Texas in June. If you, so obviously, some of you didn't know that. And um, the, the emails have put out why. And next week, maybe Deborah can come talk to us. It's, it's all good stuff. They, with their family and their kids and their extended family in Texas, they believe that's where God wants them right now. So, so in the process, obviously pray for Young Life as they look into transition and pray for this church as we look into transition, replacing Deborah here. And more will be coming out on that in the weeks ahead. So let's go ahead and right now um, thank God for that family and ask God to guide us in our message this morning. Lord, we do thank you. We thank you for your kindnesses to us as the songs we just sang, your amazing grace. I deserve none of your grace, Lord, which you've lavished it upon each one of us. And we thank you for that, Father. We thank you for Deborah and Mario and all the kids, God, and that you bless them in this decision. Thank you for the faithfulness they've served this lake, this church, and this entire community between what Deborah does here and what Mario does with Young Life. Thank you for the blessing they've brought to us, that you've brought to us through them. And now we ask that you guide them in this move in the next three, four months, Father. So we trust you in all this. Where we don't have understanding, Lord, give us faith. And um, in Christ's name, we give you praise. Amen. We'll open up to Romans 8. We are coming to the crescendo of Romans 8. Actually, Romans 1 through 8 is is really a a, a sustained presentation of the gospel. And Romans 5 through 8 is really talking about one subject. I want to connect those two things, the beginning of 5 and as we get into 8, and to show you how there's a connection. Paul has been... been, um, developing a thought that all the details, maybe we've lost that connection or haven't kept it in front of you. But today I want you to think about this. Life, there's certain things in life that are going to happen. And one of them, everyone in this room has experienced, is suffering. Every human being has had pain in their life. Anybody here exempt from pain? I didn't think so. Some of you have more than others. And some of you have pain that I pray God you don't give me. But we all know what life is like. How do we bring this suffering and our faith in God together? Because sometimes we have this belief, God, if you really loved me, you would take my pain away. And, and we've all probably had that thought too, or someone we love is in pain. 
Oh, God, please take it away. So the question of today is where are we putting our hope? Where should we put our ultimate hope when it comes to suffering and pain in this life? What is our ultimate hope? And here's what I want to suggest to you. According to this passage today, our ultimate hope is not in this present life as we exist in this unredeemed body. Our ultimate hope isn't for Christ to return to complete our salvation, that he started the day you believed. And so I want to develop that idea today. The first point, the journey of our salvation and the reality of suffering. This is where I want to connect chapter 5, verse 1, to chapter 8, verse 18, which is where we're starting today. So open your Bibles on your phone or on your iPad. We're going to start in Romans 5, 18. But I'm going to take you back to 5, 1 first. So, 5, 1 through 5. I'm going to go there. I, I kind of skipped this when I first preached this back in the fall because I said I'll deal with it later. That's what we're doing today. But listen, 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and which we just sang about. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So stop there a moment. Rejoicing in the hope of glory, or the hope of the glory of God. That's a theme that's all through Paul. It's called the hope of glory. He uses the phrase several times. This time it's rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. I'm going to explain that, or rather Paul's going to explain what that means in chapter 8. And not only that, verse 3, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. But because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So all these things, we have the hope, we have suffering, we have the love of God and the Holy Spirit. These are, have, Paul has brought them all together in chapter 8 to develop them. If you remember... I had mentioned to you that the Holy Spirit is only mentioned four times in Romans chapters 1 through 7. But in chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 19 times just in that chapter. So Paul is developing an idea here. In the Holy Spirit, your salvation, our hope, and suffering is a package that Paul is going to bring them all together in chapter 8 now. He's going to explain how can hope be the result of suffering. Because will you agree with me, and we talked about this back in September or October, whenever I first preached this passage, that often my suffering does not produce perseverance, does not produce character, and certainly doesn't produce hope. Often my suffering will result in despair. And we've all seen that in people, and maybe you've experienced it. So the connection of hope to perseverance, excuse me, suffering to perseverance to character building to hope is what Paul is going to bring to a conclusion now in Romans 8. And it will take us three weeks to explain all this. So we're going to spend the next three weeks in Romans 8 still. I'm slowing down because it's the culmination of everything he's been teaching us. So with that, I want to remind you, I'm going to draw a line from Romans 5.1 to 5.8, or to 8.18. I want to draw a line of what Paul's talking about from 5.1 to 8.18. First of all, we've been justified by faith. We just saw that. We were declared righteous before God because we believed in Jesus Christ. Chapter 5 talked about the fact that in Adam, we were sinners. In Adam, and he sinned, everyone became sinners. And when Christ died for us, what happened to everybody? 
everyone who trusts in him becomes righteous. In Adam, death, in, right? in Christ, life. Because we were united with him, chapter 6, in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. When Jesus died, you and I died. When Jesus was buried, you and I were buried. When Jesus rose from the dead, you and I were raised from the dead in order that we might walk a new life. So we're born again. The Spirit of God is in us. We're changed people. All things are new, except the body. The body's unredeemed. And chapter 6 told us there that don't present yourselves to sin. Don't present your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as alive from the dead and present the members of your body to God as instruments of righteousness. So we were introduced to attention there that we are saved, we are redeemed, we are born again, but we still have a battle because this body's unredeemed. Chapter 7 portrayed a, a battle Paul had by living under the law of just frustration and failure where he cried out, who will deliver me from this dead body? And Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, there therefore is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and he developed this concept of living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, which we saw was contrary to being led by the flesh, living for the flesh. Then, it said, by the Spirit, we're to put to death the deeds of the body. Crucify the flesh, as Paul says in Galatians. And we learn through the Spirit, we are now children of God. Heirs of Christ, heirs with Christ, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. It is this context that Paul now leads us in the discussion of suffering. And we can win the daily battle with the flesh by the power of the Spirit, but we can also have hope that this battle will be brought to an end. See, no one in this room would say, yeah, I'm done with sin. I haven't sinned in ages. I, I, I doubt anyone in this room will say that. Um, I, I would suggest if you do, I think you're misunderstanding the nature of sin, but, but we can argue about that some other time. So what is this hope? What, what, what is the definition of hope in this context? Let me give the definition of hope, and then we're going to jump into chapter 8, verse 18. Hope is the certain belief that God will eventually redeem our bodies. He will finish the salvation that he started. I've been talking about how salvation is a journey. You came to faith in Jesus. You got saved. You're growing in your salvation. That Christ-like character is being developed in you. But we're waiting for that day Christ returns and he finishes my salvation by raising my body from the dead. Or if we're still alive, by instantly change in the twinkling of an eye, according to 1 Corinthians 15. So today we're going to look at that middle section, how suffering brings that maturity to me. So that's the introduction. Next point, hope in our future glory. I'm going to read to you Romans 8, 18 to 25, the whole context. Then we'll come back and walk through it a few verses at a time. Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, 
the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So there's the context we're going to spend our time in today. And the phrase again, the hope of glory, is we today live in hope. You can't have a hope if what you hope for is realized. You get that, right? And biblical hope is not an uncertainty. Like often we use the word hope today in popular language. I hope I do this. You know, I hope my football team wins. When we always use, I hope I win the lottery, which which is a, a futile hope. But biblical hope is an unfulfilled certainty. Did you catch that? Biblical hope is an unfulfilled certainty. What we are hoping in, as we'll see here, is certain to happen. It's just unfulfilled. But we anxiously wait for it. So, the reality of suffering compared to the hope of glory. Let's revisit verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Would you agree there's a lot of suffering in the world? I mean, mean, think about your own lives. I want to talk about um, a lady in our church in a moment. But look at the world where suffering is going on. And there's some unbelievable pain in people's lives in this world that, that we are somewhat immune from in America. So, so I know you know the news. I know you know the world history and all that. We are a blessed people, but we still have pain and suffering. In the context here, Paul is probably talking in part about persecution because the Roman, any Christian in the first century was having to face opposition from the culture. You may too have to face opposition from the world around you, and I believe that's going to increase more in the days ahead, unfortunately. But there's also physical pain in life. And, and is that worth comparing to the glory? If you understood the glory to be revealed to you, would you say, my pain today, no matter how intense, is not worth comparing to that glory? And if you would say, my pain today is way worse than any glory that can come to me, then you need a fuller understanding of what this glory is. It's the completion of your salvation. So with that, I want to tell you, and many of you know them, Christine and Chad Mitchell's story. Christina, Christine had surgery. She had cancer. And so she put it all on Facebook, so I'm not telling anything that I don't have permission. I've talked to her this week about this. But she had a hysterectomy and a a lot of the things that go with that. If you've been following her on Facebook, and if you're friends with her, you know these things. And they had a follow-up from this that they were hoping to hear, we got it all, you don't need chemotherapy. Well, what they heard was they found microscopic, and and forgive me if I can't pronounce this right, but leomyosarcoma cells still in her body. The treatment is a course of chemotherapy lasting four to five months Three days of in-hospital continuous intravenous infusion once every three weeks for six cycles. So did you catch all that? 
She has to go in the hospital six times for three days for continuous intravenous treatment that would be repeated over a period of four to five months. Here's what she texted me last week regarding this, about her faith in God and her struggles. And this is the part I have her permission, and, um, but she did ask for something from you, which I'll talk about in a minute. Christine says, I have a lot of emotions to work out with God, who I know loves me more than anyone else does, even if it doesn't feel like it at the moment. Because there's a lot of both, oh, excuse me, I'm glad that he can handle my hurt and my anger. Because there is a lot of both right now. Suffering is an opportunity to seek God more passionately, know him more deeply, and experience his faithfulness. And while I want all those things, at the present, I can only weep. And I know he understands that. Christine is working through the idea of God if you have all the power to take this away and you didn't, why? Now, I, I'm summarizing her. These are not her words. I'm summarizing all of us. God, if you love me, why am I hurting so bad? Can this kind of pain really produce hope? Others in the room here, I know you struggled with this. Same things with your cancer. Ken, Christine, and Chad, and their daughters, they have three, if you don't know them, you, you might know the triplets that run around here. Miriam, Claudia, and Leah. They're 14 years old. So if you know them, oh, I know the Mitchells. The whole family is asking God, what are you doing? But here's Christine's prayer. When I asked if I could share her story today and, and her exact quote to me, she said, yes, but would you then ask the church to pray? So listen to what she said in her last update to me. If, look at the word, if over the last three months I have not yet exhausted my supply of requests for prayer from you and from the church on my behalf, then please continue praying for me and my family. I am currently too jumbled to verbalize them myself. So Christine on Christine's life right now is being tested the question, is suffering today not worth comparing to the glory to come to us? Paul says it's not worth comparing. But in the midst of her pain and struggles, uncertainty about whether she'll live or not, uncertainty about whether her girls will, will, will have a mom next year, she's wrestling with God like all of us would. So will you commit with me to pray for her family? Let's do it right now. And then please, if you know Christine, email her, text her, however you communicate with Christine and Chad, and say, you can count on me to pray for you. I find it interesting. She says, if I have not exhausted requests for prayer. And we should never feel like we've been asked too much to pray. Father, you know this whole thing better than we do. And as Christine said in a very eloquent way, that you love her more than anyone else could, and she knows that. And I pray right now, Father, for her and Chad and the girls, that you overwhelm them with your love. You overwhelm them with a, 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 a what Paul says here, a hope, a hope that, that is so much greater than the pain they're in right now.
And, and Lord, I know this chemo, this whole process for the next four or five months is so tiresome and painful and destructive. So give her great strength to endure. Give Pat, um, um, Chad supernatural patience and understanding to minister to his wife and daughters. But your word says we have not because we ask not, Father. So we're asking right now with your power, would you touch Christine's body? Touch Christine's body and raise her up to health. We thank you, Lord, for medicine. We thank you for doctors. What a privilege it is to live where we live to get those things. But we, Lord, ask you supernaturally to deliver her from her pain and take this cancer away from her. But for them and for us, Lord, always give us a faith in you no matter what the future holds. You are trustworthy because you love us. You'll never leave us or forsake us. And nothing, as we're going to learn in Romans, Lord, we have learned in Romans, can separate us from the love of God that's in our Savior, Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. So you need to struggle with that. Is your current suffering not worth comparing to the glory to come to you? Let's talk about that glory now. So creation's relationship to the children of God. Verses 19 to 22 are truly amazing. But frankly, people skip over them. I've skipped over them for years. I kind of go, I think I know what that's about. But I've never really stopped and said, what is this about? And, and as we look at this today, I'm going to introduce it to you for you to go out and dig deeper and to wonder at your role in all of creation. Because this right here, this passage says creation is waiting eagerly for you to come to full redemption. So let's read verses 19 to 22 and ask, what is this talking about? For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? Just the men in the group? Who, who are the sons of God? Every human being. Why does it say son? Every, every person in Jesus, not every human being. Everyone who's trusted in Christ is the sons of God. Why is it sons and not children here? Because we're heirs. Remember, Paul's writing to a culture that males are the heirs. So Paul is just reminding everyone who trusts in Jesus, you are an heir. You are a son. You've been adopted. So the creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Think about that. The trees, the, the stars, the animals are all in some way waiting for your full redemption. Have you ever thought about your connection to all creation? And I'm not talking about a new age kind of weird thing. I want us to go back to Genesis chapter 3. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, where, where God gives Adam and Eve a commission to oversee creation, to have dominion and to rule. That's why Adam named all the animals. And then when Adam sinned, what happened? Death entered in. But it said there, he said, Adam, because you sinned, you're going to die. And so are your children. And by the way, Adam, the creation that's been working with you all this time in the garden will now be against you. And instead of growing and it works with you, you're going to get thorns and thistles and death enters in. So let's keep reading in verse 20 now what Paul says about this. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. When you are fully redeemed, then creation is set right. 
when you get this freedom that God's going to bring to you at the resurrection, then the creation is set free into that freedom. This is amazing. This, this should cause you to go, man, I cannot believe that God has put all of creation centered around human beings and our salvation affects everything. I, I think what's happened to us, what's happened to me, and I've been trying to correct it for years, is I've become so individualistic in my salvation. It's about me and Jesus. God came to save me. He loves me. That I forgot my role as a human being in all of creation. And that Jesus died on the cross, yes, to bring salvation to me and to you, to bring forgiveness, to bring redemption. But he also died on the cross to restore all of creation back to its original intent. And you are the fulcrum of it. It all rests upon your full redemption. Is this amazing? Thank you. It blows me away. I want you to read this over and over this week to say, wow, God, what an amazing thing. So, so then, then we ask, what's the responsibility we have to one another and to creation? Now, that's a whole other topic that I need to learn more about. So with that, now let's look at the hope of glory explained and fulfilled, the hope of glory in you, verse 23 through 25. For not only the creation is groaning, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, this is very important, the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Then he defines that, the redemption of our body. Now this should cause some trouble for you if you've been paying attention. I kind of set you up there, didn't I? Go back to verse 15 of this chapter, 15 to 18. And it says that we receive the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And that we are now heirs, heirs, fellow heirs with Christ. So 15 to 18 says we were adopted, we received the spirit, and we are heirs. Sounds definitive, sounds done. But what does this say? We've received the first fruits of the Spirit. What does fruits, first fruits imply? If you're a farmer or a rancher, any kind of thing, any kind of person that grows things, the first fruits means what? No farmers in the room. More to come. There's more to come. And, and the bad is very clear. Alfalfa is the great example. I used, to, I used to work on a ranch, and if you've got a good long summer, you get three cuts of alfalfa. The first cut of alfalfa is the least nutritious one. The second cut is more nutritious. If you get a third cut, and that, that is the gold of alfalfa. And so the first one implies more is coming. So 15 to 18 said we receive the spirit of adoption. We're heirs, but here, it's in this, but here it says we have the first fruits of the spirit, there's more to come. And it says we're waiting for our adoption. But wait a minute, it just said we were adopted. This is what happens, what's called already, not yet. Have you ever heard that phrase? So your salvation's already, but it's not yet. It's not yet complete. Yes, you are been, you've received the spirit of adoption. Yes, you can cry out, Abba, Father. But it's not complete. There's more to come. There's more of the ministry of the Spirit in your life. There's more to what it means to be adopted children. And it will happen when we get our new bodies. What does it say right there in verse 23? Oop, I moved 23. We wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. 
If you want to read more on this, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where it talks about when Christ returns at the shout of the archangel, at the trumpet of God, in the twinkling of an eye, you, if you're dead, will be raised from the dead, receive your new body. If you're still alive, it says you'll meet the Lord in the air. That's 1 Thessalonians. To be with him forever, with your new body, your salvation complete. And what a day that will be. Now, if we go back to 5, 3 through 5, Paul says, I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What's he talking about? This event, when Christ returns and raises us from the dead, and our salvation is now complete. My adoption is full. I have the fullness of the Spirit, not just the full first fruits. That's the hope of glory. I rejoice in that, Paul says, but first, I rejoice in my suffering. Because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, which I'm going to suggest to you is Christ-likeness. Which, by the way, is next week's sermon. And that Christ-like character being developed in you through the perseverance caused by suffering, then says, my hope is increasing. As I become more like Jesus, I want more. And I'm hoping in that day, when he finishes the job. Let's finish the verses out in 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That's where we are today in life. And in the book of Romans, we're going to stop here. I'm going to ask you to do this, though. I want you to read verse 26 to the end several times today and, and this week, and start thinking through it, meditating through it, talking to God about it. Because there's passages here about in your suffering, you don't even know how to pray sometimes, but the Spirit intercedes for you. In this, there's a certainty where God says he, he chose you before the foundation of the world to be what? He chose you and predestined you to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's what he's doing today. That's next week's message. So please read ahead, meditate on it, think about it, ask questions, talk to God, and I hope you'll be back because the next three weeks, each one builds on the next one, what it means to have our salvation fulfilled and complete. And we'll come to a crescendo that hope is a certainty and it's entirely based upon the love of God for you which cannot be exhausted. Let's thank him now. Lord, we want to bask in that love right now. Understanding, Lord, that if we think back at what we've been learning in your word here, we deserve none of it. We were enemies. We were in rebellion against you. But you loved us. You pursued us. You sent your son to redeem us on the cross. You sent your spirit in us to fill us with his character and power to serve you. And Lord, though daily times, daily struggles, struggles in, in life, relationships, physical pain, people out there who don't like us, all the struggles, Lord, that are certain, um, we have great hope. So refresh our minds, Lord. Remove any lies we might be believing about this hope. Remind us, Lord, that until that day, our salvation is not complete. Until that day, it is a battle. But with the Spirit in us, we can win the battle. 
each day, each and every day. I thank you, Father. You're amazing. All this because of you, Jesus, what you did for us. Because of you, we can even talk to your Father. In your name, we pray. Amen. Please stand up with me. There's a song I want to sing. No, I'm not going to sing it. Last week, they didn't turn my mic off, and I sang it. Here's a song, though, that I, I sent to Elaine a few weeks ago. And I said, I want it for today, and she's ready to go. So I hope you like it.
Did you notice I preached a shorter sermon? So I get to add stuff. That one line in there said, we're longing for that day. Are you longing for that day? When, when you wake up, whether you're like me, wake up in the morning, your back hurts, or you're struggling with, will cancer take me out? Is the hope of Jesus' return, the glory that comes that day, worth everything we're going through today? There's a line in there that will throw our crowns at his feet. That comes from the book of Revelation. It says the 24 elders, which represents Israel and the church, I believe, will bow before Jesus and throw their crowns. What are those crowns? It talks about in Scripture that four or five different crowns that believers will be given as rewards for faithfulness. And here's what I believe. I'm putting this stuff together here so I could be wrong. That Christ on that day, it says that all, all of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and will be rewarded for what we've done in the body, good or bad. As 2 Corinthians 5.10 says. So those of us that get the rewards, the crowns, it's like, I don't deserve this. Well, why am I getting something? You did all the work, Jesus, and we will bow down before him. I think collectively it's going to be a cool day. And we will take the rewards he gave us, represented by crowns, and throw them back at his feet and say, these, we don't deserve these. You deserve these because you're our king. Now what a day that will be, right? So we're going to sing it again. And I really want to hear you. So will you do it again? Yeah. Cool. Then I'll leave. I'll leave you alone.